Reading from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Thank you. Be seated, please. <clears throat> it's good to see you all here this morning, and always a always a pleasure and a privilege to come. And worship together our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of the universe. Now we've been studying the Gospel of John for quite some time now, almost two years. And it has been eye-opening in many ways uh, to me, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed studying through this, this gospel. We come to chapter 10, and, and we have seen the opening statements uh, of this parable uh, describing the character of false teachers in Jesus' day. The world is full of false teaching. You know, I, I was, as I was studying through this passage, it, it dawned on me just how evil and wicked false teaching is. I mean, we think about a lot of different things that people can do, sinful things that people can do. I mean, people can murder other people. People can commit adultery or fornication. They can steal they can do all kinds of terrible things, but I don't think there's anything that tops the list as much as false teaching. Now, that may sound strange in light of the fact that God has told us, commanded us not to do certain things and to do certain things. But as you look through Scripture, even the Old Testament, <clears throat> you'll find that there that false teaching is always listed as one of the worst things that can possibly happen. The reason for this is because when a person teaches a false truth or false gospel, the effect of that is eternal. People who teach a false <clears throat> gospel are actually leading people to the gates of hell itself. And I believe that there will be a great deal 
of judgment, severe judgment, for those who teach falsely. And they're all around us everywhere today. And you can hear it almost any time, anywhere that you look. Jesus pictures the false teachers of his day as thieves and robbers. Now, the importance of seeing this, Jesus uses very strong words here. Thieves and robbers. What are they, what are they stealing? And, and what kind of violence are they doing when they rob people of the truth? Well, they're stealing the truth of God from them. And they're doing violence to them eternally. They do not care for the sheep. They only care for their own comfort and power over others. I mean, we can see this today. Many of the, tele, many of the televangelists and, and those that are on the radio are filthy rich. Are they using their wealth like the apostles did? I dare say they are not. The Pharisees were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, but they were nothing but thieves and robbers, stealing and resorting to violence to get their own self-agenda fulfilled. Jesus' words to them were stinging affirmations that no one else would have dared to utter for fear of being put out of the temple as this blind man had been. But Jesus tells them the absolute truth. He always tells the absolute truth. But the absolute truth about ourselves and our sinful condition, people don't like to hear that. Jesus, in our parable, is the true shepherd of God's sheepfold. He enters by the door and is recognized as the only shepherd that God will allow entrance to his sheep. These words echo from the words of the Father in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and chapter 17, verse 5, when God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father is pictured as the gatekeeper, and Jesus is the good shepherd who enters the gate into the sheepfold by God's appointed way. He is not like other shepherds who are thieves and robbers who tried to find another way into God's sheepfold and only to fleece the sheep and scatter them. What does the good shepherd do when he enters the sheepfold? He calls his sheep by name and they respond to his voice. Did you ever think about that phrase? He calls them by name. Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, knows your name. 
He calls you by your name. You know, it used to be a practice years ago. I don't know if it's such today. Maybe with some people who are a little more polite than others. That if you, knew, if you met someone, you would ask permission to call them by their name. May I call you by your name? That privilege is usually given to those who are very close. Jesus calls his sheep by their name. This imagery teaches us the doctrine of the effectual call of the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? There are two types of callings in Scripture, spiritually. The first is a general call. It is the general call of the gospel, where the message of the good news of the gospel concerning salvation goes out to all who hear it. It is preached to everyone generally. And then there is the effectual call. Of those that the general call lands on, God calls some effectually in that call. Now what does that mean? It means that God pinpoints certain ones in any group where the gospel is being preached generally to affect their hearts and their, their minds with the gospel. So that they see Christ as the Savior. They see themselves as sinners. And they respond to Christ as Savior and Lord. Those that, that answer that effective call by God... Respond positively to that gospel message where many in any crowd of people where the gospel is preached, notwithstanding the crowd we have here this morning, because most all of us know the Lord as our, as our treasure and we have responded effectually to that call. But if you're preaching to a group, I remember one time I was asked to do a funeral of a certain individual when I went, this individual had a Catholic background. When I went, about half the place was filled with priests. Catholic priests. And when I stood to preach the gospel, you could feel the heaviness in the air. Maybe they'd never heard the gospel like that before. I don't know. But out of any crowd, over time, as people hear the gospel, there comes a time when God calls His own effectually out of that group. And He, and he redeems them. He, he saves them. They are born again. And they respond positively to Christ. I remember when that happened to me. Not that you have to remember it. Sometimes it's gradual with certain people. With me, it was a, it was a 
black and white. This is not the doing, this effective call is not the doing of the individual. It is not the doing of the person themselves because they have no power to affect it themselves. This is what Jesus was trying to teach in John 6, verse 44, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, and he said, no one can come to me, no one has the ability to come to me unless the Father draws him. He goes on to say, and I will raise him up on the last day, which, which shows that the call is effective. Because Jesus only raises on the last day those who effectually come to Him. We see it, this truth in many places in the New Testament. If you have the notes, I've given you lots of passages to look at. But I want to just read a couple here. In fact, I'd like for you to turn to them with me. Uh, we're going to go through them quickly. <clears throat> I want you to notice how many times in these passages the word called is used. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writes to the Roman church, and in writing, he opens his, his statement with, to all those in Rome who are loved by God. You get that? God so loved. Loved by God and called to be saints. Called to be holy ones. Called to be His own possession. Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 to 30. These are very familiar verses. For anyone who has a reformed, reformed thinking. Look at what he says. Verse 28, 828. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Well, the purpose of God was set in eternity past. Before there was ever an earth or, or, or a universe, it was just God in His triune being. And it was all set down in the past. Verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also, what? Called. See, God's plan will never fail. That's why preaching the gospel is a, is a very positive thing. Because it doesn't matter who you preach it to. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. It doesn't matter how civilized or, or uncivilized people are. When the gospel is preached, generally it goes out and it lands on people. And out of those people it lands on, some will respond whom God has chosen from the foundation of the world, from before creation. And those whom He called, He also justified. 
and those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see what that's saying? It's saying that you and I were chosen by God from before the foundation of the world. In time, he saved us, and we are going to end up in glory just like him. These are promises to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God that is at Cor- in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, notice it now, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You see, we're not alone in this. God is calling people all over the world, out of every tribe, out of every nation, out of every people group. He is calling people to Himself through the Gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is the last one I'm going to have you turn to. I want to establish this in your minds. Because this is a difficult thing for many people. They think they're in control. <laughs> they're not in control. We're not in control of anything. We can barely get out of bed in the morning by ourselves. We think we're in control, but we're not. Notice what he says. We ought to always, verse 13... 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Because, why? Why give praise for the brothers? Because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit and the belief in the truth. To this, He called you. Circle the words, chose you. And called you and draw a line between them. Because that's that's the, the, the key. God chose and He called. And that effectual call always results in those whom He chose with positive results. Every single time. At some point in time. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is called the effectual call because God brings it about in the new birth, in those individuals he has chosen to receive it. This is all done by God's grace, not because of anything in the individual that God saw because There's nothing in us that God would see that is worth anything. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It is all by grace through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift. It is not of works. So that you would not be able to boast in it. You say, well, I would never do that. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. You, if, if you had some part in it, you would be saying to God when you stand before Him, Man, I'm glad, God, I had the good sense to trust you. 
when in fact none of us have any good sense at all. No, it's all by grace. It's all God's doing. He does it all from beginning to end. And He does it effectually. So because the sheep have been chosen by God, then Jesus speaks to His own. It speaks of ownership. That's why the sheep hear His voice. In fact, it gets very specific because He calls them by their name. Now we all know uh, that kids on a farm uh, grow up learning that Animals are there for use, their use, and sometimes we, sometimes we have to kill an animal to feed ourselves, but the children often will give names to them. And animals learn their names. Even our little puppy dogs know their names. Their names, now get this, their names were written in God's book of life before the world was created. It's a humbling thing to think that my name was written in that book before I was ever born, before I was ever created, before anything existed. My name is there in that book. God's book. And in His omnipotence, He knows all of those names. All of them. In other words, the sheep who are God's elect or chosen recognize the voice of their shepherd as the true Messiah of God, Jesus Christ. Now it says that the good shepherd leads his sheep out of the sheepfold to green pastures and to still waters, which we certainly see in Psalm 23. But this leading does not, is not a physical leading. Now, certainly, God does give us peace. He leads us. He feeds us. He, he, makes, uh, he gives us that which we need to carry on life and shelter and food and, and all those things, those good things that He gives us. But that is not what this is speaking of. This is speaking of His spiritual leading. We know that because God often leads His people into very dangerous places. And some have gone into places where their lives were taken. They were God's people. They were God's children, His sheep. So this is a spiritual leading. He's leading them spiritually to the place of feeding and and water where there, is, where there is peace and joy, even in the midst of physical danger. You read in, in Judson's biography that on the island of Vanuatu, the, the, the villagers were after him. They wanted to kill him. 
He climbed up in a palm tree to hide. It'd be the last place I'd go. There's all kinds of creepy, crawly things in palm trees. Sitting in that palm tree, he could see the villagers running down the paths with torches searching for him. And he wrote, I never had such peace as when I sat in that palm tree. It's a spiritual thing. We follow our shepherd wherever he goes. He leads us where he wants us to go. And we know his voice. And we will not listen to any other shepherd. We won't listen. We'll do as the children. We'll stop our ears and I'm not going to hear it. Why? Because we know His voice and we do not recognize the voice of any other shepherd. Not going to follow somebody else who calls. Going to follow only our good shepherd. Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd and His Sheep, writes this. The relationship which rapidly develops between a shepherd and his sheep under his care is to a definite degree dependent upon the use of the shepherd's voice. Sheep quickly become accustomed to their owner's particular voice. They are acquainted with its unique tone. They know its particular sounds and inflections. They can distinguish it from any other person. If a stranger should come among them, they would not recognize or respond to his voice in the same way they would of that shepherd. Even if a visitor should use the same words and phrases as that of their rightful owner, they would not react in the same way. It is the case of becoming actually conditioned to the familiar nuances and personal accent of their shepherd's call. Now, isn't that interesting? What he's talking about here when he... We ask the question, what is he talking about here when he says and uses the word stranger? Or the voice of a stranger? In regard to what his sheep hear... Why would he use those words, a stranger? John speaks of this in 1 John chapter 4. Turn with me to 1 John 4. Notice verses 1 through 6. I find it very interesting when you read the Gospel of John and you read the epistles of John that John brings up many things that he heard from Jesus as a disciple from his Gospel. So look look what he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was was coming and now is in the world already. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. What's he talking about? Who are the they? It's the false teachers. The false prophets. Those who are actually antichrist by nature. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Do you get that? Everybody has somebody they listen to. And the unbelieving world listens to the voice of the world. It's tone. It's, it's guidance. They listen to the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, if false teaching was not that big of a deal, why would John spend so much time speaking about it? Why would Jude write so much of it? Why would Peter write so much about it? Why would James say so much about it? It is a big deal. Because that's how Satan leads people off into tangents and things that don't matter and they end up in hell. But there is for the child of God a spiritual recognition of the truth. The truth. You see, that's what we want. That's all we want. Just truth. Just give us the truth and we're satisfied. Because it's the truth of our shepherd that changes our lives. That fills the void. That gives us peace. And joy. Even when things go really bad. In our estimation. So, they not only hear the shepherd when he speaks, but they also follow the shepherd. They obey what he says. Because the shepherd is before them. He sees the pitfalls. He knows the dangers. He will guide them spiritually into places of pasture and feeding and cool water. No one who is truly saved would ultimately turn away from Christ as their Lord and go back into their life of lostness and disobedience. No one would do that who knows Christ truly. Now, it doesn't mean that Christians can't fall into sin. It certainly is possible. It does mean, however, that they cannot stay there ultimately. That cannot happen if they're truly born again. Because they would be so miserable that they would want to run back to their shepherd and find in him the peace of forgiveness. Jesus wrote in Matthew chapter 24, as the days grow closer, he warned his, his disciples about false prophets and teachers and said that they would abound 
And many would be led astray by their teachings. Listen to what he says. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The, de- the, the delusion, the, the falseness, he is saying, will permeate. The societies of the world. But it is clearly not possible for the elect to be ultimately deceived. All those who fall into error and leave the truth prove that their faith was not from God, not of God, and their salvation was not genuine. John says it. They went out from us. Because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it might be manifest, so that it might be known that they were not of us. This is happening on a wholesale scale across our country today. Where you read, every day you hear about some preacher, some some missionary, some pastor who, who once supposedly preached the truth, has now recanted of it and has now turned away from it. And has picked up some error or gone off into the worlds in some way. Today, more than ever before in history, there is a deluge of false teaching and false teachers. This is evident even to secular writers. Listen to this. Found this article, June 23 of, of this year, by Ruth Graham. That's not Billy Graham's wife. That's a. She's a a writer for the New York Times. Ruth Graham writes, In recent years, self-described prophets have proliferated across the country, accelerating in stature over the course of the Trump era. They are stars within what is now one of the fastest-growing corners of Christianity. Listen to her assessment of it. A loose but fervent movement led by hundreds of people who believe they can channel supernatural powers and have special spiritual insights. Now, you, when, when secular writers are clued into that, you know there's a lot of false teaching going on. Now, we know it's there. It's always been there. It just seems like today it's, it's just exponentially gotten worse. So what does God have to say about all of this proliferation of falseness? Jeremiah 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster is going to come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. 
And the anger of the Lord will not turn back until He has executed and accomplished the intents of His heart. In the latter days, you will understand this clearly. Well, my friends, we're in the latter days. And we understand it clearly. The deception we see all around us today was prophesied to take place. Paul warned the Thessalonians of this betrayal of truth in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2. I want you to see this. Because there is coming the ultimate delusion. The ultimate deception. And Paul speaks of it here in 2 Thessalonians. Notice chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. False signs and wonders. Benny Hinn. Kenneth Copeland. People like them. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. That is, those who reject Jesus and the Word of God. They're the lost ones of earth. Why? Listen to what he says. Because it's wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. That's why. That word, notice, notice verse 11. Therefore God sends them strong delusion. A strong delusion. That word delusion means something to mislead by false appearance or false statement. They're misled. They're believing something that isn't true or they're rejecting something that is true. Either way, it's delusion. Verse 12, and so they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's the key. That's why they, that's why they love the falseness. Because they want to have pleasure in unrighteousness. And notice that there are two results that come from this deception. They are that they would believe the lies of false teaching <clears throat> and that they would be condemned in doing so. They believe it and they're condemned. Those are, the, those are the two things. Because it led them to enjoy sin and to rally in the sins of others. As Romans 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 32 says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, however, they not only do them, but they, are approved, they approve in those who practice them. It's a, it's a natural downward progression. 
That's why, that's why mothers today are taking their children to listen to drag queens. They're children. I cannot fathom it. They're not only doing those things, but they're delighting and approving of those who do them. And look, folks, there are churches having drag queens in them now. Churches. I mean, what? Hard to understand. Except, the, except when we understand the sinful nature of mankind. The point of this is that those who listen, those who belong to Christ, do not leave Him and listen to someone else. They listen to Christ. They do, they do not delight in the sins and errors of others who preach falsely. The words, a stranger they will not follow, is a very strong negative phrase. It's, it's, it's as strong as you can get. They will never, no, not in any way, listen to a stranger. A false teacher. Someone who would lead them astray. Someone who would cause them spiritual hurt. The Amplified Version says, They will never on any account follow a stranger. Why? Because strangers have unfamiliar voices. Did you ever listen to something? Did you ever be listening to someone and they'll say something and you think, Hmm, I wonder, I don't know about that. Just doesn't, doesn't sound right. That's what the voice of a stranger is. We just don't don't hear it right. Because strangers with unfamiliar voices will rob them and take away their joy for their own benefit. That's why they do it. Jesus is no doubt pointing to the Pharisees who are ever seeking to rob him of those who would follow him, as they did with the man who had been healed of his blindness. And they had already said in chapter 9, verse 22, if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, they would be put out of the temple. The world has the idea that to follow Jesus takes away all joy in life. All happiness that one might possibly have. But that is so far from the truth. For real joy and peace and happiness is found in following the true shepherd of the sheep. To follow a stranger leads to a life of doubt, fear, weakness, and inner turmoil. So, What do they do? What do the sheep do when they encounter a strange voice? Notice what he says they do. He says they run away. They run away. Notice the word flee. It is a future middle indicative. Now, future tense, what does that say? It's saying that the true sheep, the one who hear Jesus' voice and know His voice and will not listen to a stranger, when they hear the voice of a stranger, they are constantly running away from it. And they're looking to the future for this. It is a statement of fact. 
They're constantly listening, constantly watching for anything that might be false or corrupting in someone's teaching. Now, it's my job to tell you of those things. And I've had people get very upset with me sometimes because I have to warn people of falseness and strangers speaking false things. That's okay. William William Hendrickson writes, The true disciple of the Lord does not know or refuses to acknowledge the voice of strangers who come to him with strange philosophy, strange theology, strange ethics, and therefore he does not follow them. He is resolutely determined to follow only one true shepherd, Jesus, as he speaks his word. All others he shuns. In fact, he runs away in horror. You want an apostolic illustration? When John left the Isle of Patmos, he had been tortured and he couldn't, he couldn't get around easily. There was a man in Ephesus by the name of Serenthus. Serenthus was a Gnostic teacher. He taught against the gospel. It is told that John was headed, in fact, Philip Schaff in his church history uh, said that Arrhenius, an early church, one of the early church fathers, was with John and was going to the baths. They had public baths in those days. You would go and get into the bath and you would wash, and then you'd go to another bath and you would wash there. And John, entering the bath, saw Serenthus inside. He immediately turned and fled, saying, Let us flee lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. You say, wow, that doesn't sound like John, the the apostle of love. Well, yes, it does. And that's exactly how we need to be. We need to flee what we hear that is false. Run away from it in horror. Jesus' sheep hear His words. They follow Him. And the result is trust and obedience that our heavenly shepherd will lead us to peace and feeding and rest to our souls. Jesus' sheep love the truth because it comes from the mouth of their Lord, their Savior, their shepherd. Those with strange teachings, things that differ from biblical truth, they will not listen to. Don't listen to it. You say, well, maybe you need to know what somebody's saying. If you're going to listen to someone say something that's false, you better know the truth really well. You're better off just to stay with what the Bible says. And don't worry about what somebody else is teaching. Now, I've had, to, I've had to look into other people because I have to tell you. But stay with what our shepherd 
teaches. And be so careful and judge everything that you hear by the word of the living God, the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for uh, our uh, privilege and opportunity to come and worship this morning. And Lord Jesus, we worship you. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are our true shepherd. You are the shepherd of God's sheep all over the world. And they listen to you. The true sheep, the sheep, listen to the shepherd. We won't listen to a stranger's voice. We always come back to your voice, responding to your voice, being obedient to your voice. And though we may stray off, our good shepherd comes and finds us and brings us back so that we can be in his fold, protected by his voice and his words. We pray that that would be the true of us here at Bethany. That we would so center our lives on what we hear from your word. That all that comes out would be your words to us. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of this universe and the King of glory. Amen.